Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Welcome to what we're calling Revision Sunday. Uh, on the first Sunday before school goes back each year for a number of years, we've done kind of like a, a vision, uh, a theme for the year to present to everyone. But uh, last year, maybe that was the first year, we moved Vision Sunday to November to give you lots of early warning. But we still wanted something for January this Sunday, so we call it Revision Sunday. So to revise, our theme, our focus for 2023 at St. Matt's is being a place of grace and a people of grace. Being a place of grace and a people of grace. Hi everyone, I'll be reading the Bible tonight. Um, Today's passage comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Thank you, Anna. Uh, Some of you will be very familiar with our vision at St. Matt's. Our vision is to be a community of lifelong disciples of Jesus, engaging our world with grace and truth. And for some of you, you'll be like, yep, I've got that. Others of you might be, that's right, I'm familiar enough with that to remember when you say it. And for others of you, you might still be fairly new around here and and you're just maybe even hearing that for the first time. But that's our vision. And as Chris said, in November last year, uh, we took some time out to launch our focus for 2023, being a place of grace and a people of grace. And uh, as we launched that day, I preached uh, with the big idea being grace leads us home. Now, if you want to catch up on that sermon, which gives you a bit more detail or a bit more higher level stuff about our vision, then the QR code will take you there if you want to catch up on that. But today, as Chris has said, we want to re-envision. We want to spend some time to think about that again, but drill down into it in a bit more of a practical way. Living in grace sounds really easy, but I think it's actually quite difficult. And I think it's quite difficult for a, a number of reasons, but just two that I want to touch on right now. First of all, we have a tendency as humans to want to make ourselves the centre of things. And that actually works against grace because it's about us. The second reason that I think uh, we find living in grace hard is because we also tend to have a belief, tend to, that we are strong and capable and independent and that also works against grace. Now, this problem of finding living in grace hard is not a new problem. And I think it's actually the problem that Paul saw in the church at Galatia in that passage that Anna just read for us. When he wrote to that church, he was devastated that they so quickly were no longer living in grace. Did you hear the words that he said at the start of chapter 3? 
You foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? As he goes on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, we're told that they had begun by means of God's spirit, but now we're trying to finish by means of the flesh. Perhaps that meant that they had started to rely on the law as their way of salvation. Perhaps it meant that they had begun to put requirements of the law on Gentiles rather than just welcoming them into God's family through grace and by God's Holy Spirit. Whatever the actual issue was, either way, Paul says it's foolishness to start in grace and then go on by means of the flesh, to leave grace behind. So then if that's foolishness, how do we, with our tendency to find it hard to live in grace, not fall into the same trap? Part of our problem, I think, is that we have limited the definition of grace to God's work in Jesus on the cross as he freely and willingly dies to pay the penalty for our sin. And make no mistake, that is absolutely grace. Grace is no less than that. But biblical grace is much more than that. Here's a more encompassing vision or definition of grace. God's grace is the Holy Spirit acting in our lives, helping us to accomplish those things that we cannot accomplish in our own strength. That not only includes salvation, but includes every aspect of the Christian life. That God is graciously by his spirit, enabling us to live the life that he called us to by his grace. The ways that God acts with grace uh, to accomplish things in our life is infinite. And I, I imagine if we you know, just broke out into chats about how we've seen God's grace at work in our lives, we would see all sorts of examples about that. But God has also chosen some specific things where we can expect to meet his grace, to meet him in grace. And we call these things the means of grace, and I touched on them a little bit in November, and we'll come back to them a bit later in the year and think about them a bit more. The means of grace... Things like engaging with uh, God's word in the Bible. Things like prayer. Things like a holy communion, generosity, thanksgiving and baptism are some of the means of grace. And as we participate in those means of grace, we're confident that God will meet us with his grace and strengthen us by his grace. So let's just think about baptism as one of those means of grace, just as an example. This morning at our 9.30 service, we had the great delight of baptising little Angus Batten. What a joy it was uh, to welcome him into the church family. Baptism demonstrates our dependency on God. It demonstrates our dependency on his grace to achieve something we can't achieve ourselves. Think about what makes baptism effective. Is it the water that makes baptism effective? Sorry to spoil any illusions, but I just got it out of a tap. 
is it the minister who makes baptism effective? Well, it was me and I can tell you right now that it's not about the minister. He comes with a whole lot of flaws. Is it effective because of the prayers of God's people? Is that what makes baptism effective? Prayers are really important to be praying for Angus and praying for each other in our Christian living. But it's not actually what makes baptism effective. Grace makes baptism effective. We believe that it's God's promise to his people and in the case this morning to John and Eliza that by the Holy Spirit God is active in Angus's life making him a member of the community of God's people all because of grace. Prod you a little bit further. Is it Angus's confession that makes baptism effective? Is it your confession that makes your baptism effective? Or is it God's grace that makes baptism effective? Now, if that's true of baptism, then it would be silly, or perhaps to use a stronger word, the word that Paul used, it would be foolish to then put on any person who's been baptised in grace an obligation for them to get things sorted out themselves. Imagine if John and Eliza tomorrow start raising Angus to make sure he sorts his life out. That would be contrary to what we did this morning, saying it's all about grace. We prayed this morning that God would bring Angus into all the joys of his eternal kingdom. We prayed that God will continue to extend grace to Angus. He starts by grace. He continues by grace and, God willing, he finishes by grace. And we who participate in the baptism, whether it be this morning or whether it be when this congregation participates in baptisms throughout the year, we remind ourselves that the same is true for us. That, like Angus this morning, or like the person being baptised, we are totally dependent on God's grace given to us through his Holy Spirit to continue in the Christian life. So then, what's it look like for us at St Matt's to be a place of grace? John is going to help us think about this. I want to take you back to when Jesus was walking on this earth and he was challenged uh, by the Pharisees. Well, they tried to challenge him. They tried to get him off guard by asking him. In Matthew 22, verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. You see, Jesus, he responded with grace towards the men who challenged him, who tried to challenge him, and told them that the greatest command was to love God and to love others. And he goes on to talk about how the whole law hangs on these two commands, to love God and to love others, like a a door hangs on two hinges. So it was that the whole law hung on these things, loving God and loving others. And for us... 
we on the Christian life hangs on those two things as well, to love God and to love others. And you see, I think it's easy for us to love people who are like us, people who we get along with, uh, you know, people who maybe are at similar, similar life stages to us, maybe people who are in similar pay brackets, who like the same alternative milk styles, uh, you know, people like that, people that we get along with because we have similar interests or similar likes. But when we get to know God's good design for the world, we realise that we're not just called to love the people that are like us, the people who go to the same church or same denomination. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see how God made people. In verse 26 of Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every human is made in the image of God. And because they are made in the image of God, they have inherent value. They have dignity as a human being. Not because of anything they've necessarily done, but because of how God has made them. And in this... So we want to show that every human has human dignity. They have an inherent value. And we want to show this overflowing grace. We are called to show grace to all people. And we want to be a place of grace. As people think about some mats, what do they think? Well, they think we are a place of grace. We want to be a visible presence of the good news in the place of West Pennant Hills. A loving community for all. You know, when we did the word cloud, we saw all different words like community, inclusive, love. And these are what we want people to see. And I think we already see uh, this happening amongst uh, us as St. Matt's. You know, Eliza and I, we've only been a part of St. Matt's for a few months. Uh, But the thing that we have seen time and time again is that this place is a place of grace, of generous, overflowing grace. But we want to grow as a place of grace. And so I want us to think about from uh, the people as they drive along uh, Castle Hill Road and they see the car park and they see this building uh, to when they come through those doors and into this building and hopefully into our homes. I want to think about that as we grow as a place of grace. So there's three ways that I want us to think about. The first one is to provide for different people. Uh, You might have heard of the Community Assistance Fund here at St. Matt's. And the Community Assistance Fund is a great opportunity for us to reach out to people in our community with grace. Uh, Recently, uh, there was a horrific accident. uh, And we were able to uh, give through that fund to a family who was in crisis and be generous to them. Though they weren't a part of our family here at St. Matt's yet, we were able to give to them through the Community Assistance Fund because a a member of our church came to the staff and said, what can we do? And we were able to use the Community Assistance Fund to give to that family. And so I want to encourage you to look out for people in our community who need to be shown grace in this way, that we might be able to provide for a family or an individual in need like that. And maybe you're in a financial position where you can give to that as well. And if that's you, come and talk to one of us uh, and we'd be able to help you. 
to know how to give to that fund. So that's the first one, provide for different people. The second one actually also came from the word cloud, the big word in the middle. What was it? Welcoming. We want to be a place that welcomes different people, people of all different stages of life. You know, uh, again, I've already seen this. You've welcomed me, a man with dreadlocks, into your church family. Uh, And it's great to be a part of the family. But there are so many people who we know that are different to us. They don't just have different hairstyles. Maybe they don't have as much money as us or as nicer clothes. Maybe they have more nicer clothes. Uh, Maybe they, you know, have a different nationality. They're a different age. When you see someone walk through those doors... I want to challenge you and encourage you when you see even that they're different to you. Walk across the room. Walk across the room to that person or to that family and welcome them. Show overflowing grace, even though you might not be the same age as them or they might be wearing different clothes or different sports jersey or something like that. But go and welcome them. Walk across the room and welcome different people. And then I also want to encourage us to eat with different people. And there are going to be many opportunities for us to do that this year after night church where we'll have meals together. And so invite those people, invite them. Let's sit around the table and enjoy food together so that we might be seen as a place of grace, though they may feel like they didn't deserve it, but we would show an overflowing grace, the same grace that we've been shown in Christ. Let's be a place of grace so that when others drive along the road, what do they see? They don't just see St. Matt's, but they see St. Matt's, a place of grace. And as we seek to be a place of grace, well, there are individuals in this room and we all work together to make this a place of grace. And so we're now going to think about what it means to be a people of grace. And Chris is going to do that for us. We've all met those people, right? Not like, not like those people. Those people. Those people who are just so appealing. There's something beautiful about them, about how they interact with other people. There's just something. They exude grace. They just seem like they're full of grace. You know the kind of people I mean. I mean, you mightn't use the language of being full of grace, but I think you know who I'm talking about. People who are... Generous. They're generous with their, their money, maybe their time, but even generous with their attention. You know, there's people that will, will make eye contact with you and have their feet even pointing towards you and be giving you their full attention and make you feel like, like you're worth listening to, like you're someone created in the image of God. I love those people. People who want to understand more than they want to judge. People who are quicker to celebrate what's good than criticize what's bad. People for whom gratitude is just a way of life. People who are willing to give second chances and third chances and fourth chances. People that seem continually refreshed by this inner spring. When I think of being a person of grace, those are the kind of things I think of. And if we want to be a people of grace in a place of grace, then we need to be persons of grace. But how? How do we become full of grace? How do we grow in grace? How can you become more a person of grace in 2023? 
so tempting to just give you this massive to-do list and just weigh you down with more and more and more rules. But let's be careful not to be like the Galatians who began in God's strength but then started to continue in their own strength. If we want to extend grace, then first we need to receive grace. If we want to be full of grace, then first we need to be filled with grace. So to be a person of grace, I think number one, know your need for grace. Be aware that you need grace because we need God's forgiveness continually. Just again and again and again. We need his help continually. And we need others to be patient and gracious with us way more than we like to acknowledge as well. It's so ingrained in human nature to ignore our own flaws and failings, to make excuses, but unless we face what's wrong with us, unless we acknowledge our need for grace, for kindness, for mercy, then we're not going to be able to extend that to other people. So number one, know your need for grace. Number two, follows on, know that God has grace for you. To be a person of grace, know God's grace for you. Do you know Jesus, the Son of God, died for you? We can just drop that so casually. We talk about it all the time to the point that sometimes I think we just take it for granted, but what a crazy thing. And if you trust in Jesus, then God's Spirit has come to live inside your heart, to be with you always. God has adopted you into his family and now calls you child. Isn't that incredible? We have received this astonishing mercy, incredible kindness, unfathomable grace. And knowing God's kindness helps us to be kind. Knowing his forgiveness helps us to forgive. And the more you know his grace, the more you appreciate it, the more you give him thanks for it, the more you enjoy it and marvel at it, the more his grace is going to empower you to be a person that has grace for others as well. So to be full of grace, first we need to be filled with grace. And then, then we start practicing grace. My kids have hit an age where now I'm, I'm constantly telling them that you never become good at anything unless you practice. It's like three times a day right now. It's going to be okay. So practice grace. If you don't practice it, you won't get good at it. Ask the Spirit to be your coach to help you practice grace. And this church family is a, a great practice ground for you. A church service is just a great weekly training session. It's a great place to practice because there's a whole bunch of other people that are coming here and that are willing to practice the same thing with you. And if they're practicing grace towards you, then you're receiving more grace and you're being filled more and more and more with grace so it's easier then for you to practice grace as well. We can all come here, practice grace towards each other so we each get to be more and more filled with grace to then extend that to others out there. So know your need for grace. Know the limitless grace God has for you. And then practice grace here. To be a person full of grace, be filled with grace. Now, I don't have a beautiful segue for this part, Ron, so back to you. Good on, Chris. Uh, so just kind of to explain something at this point, that um, 
what you've what you've been engaging with so far is what we've done at services across the day. But then at this point, at our we, we thought we really wanted to drill down for the particular congregation and deal with some issues that they might face as they live with grace. And so at 7.45, David Tyndall, uh, he talked about what it means to age with grace. And uh, that was brilliant. If you want to have a listen to that and think about that, look at the 7.45 YouTube. Uh, I'm sure you'll be onto it. At 9.30, we uh, thought, hey, we've got a lot of families raising kids, so what's it look like to raise children in grace? Uh, and that might be a good resource for some of you down the track uh, to have a think about as well. And when we thought about this congregation, we thought, well, what might it be for young people to engage with grace? And so then we thought, well, who would be best to do that? Chris. <laughs> so Chris has given me a few dot points, and I'm going to kind of just be your dot point prompter Great. And uh, let you have a go. Are you ready? Can I say as a disclaimer, uh, this is not to crush anyone, uh, but I think it's sometimes helpful to recognise where we might be short on grace so that we know our need for grace and then we can seek grace again. That was a lot of grace in that sentence, but it made perfect sense. Perfect. Uh, and the other thing I'd say is for those of us who maybe don't fit as much into the younger category, uh, there's still things that we'll be able to pick up here as well. So... Uh, tell us about how young people might struggle with being people of grace online. Yeah, so online. Uh, you know how accents work, right? Like you just talk like the people around you and how they talk is how you end up talking. You're an online generation. And I don't know if you've noticed, but online is like a cesspit of mean speech. I think it's, it's really easy to acquire the accent of online speech and how you talk both online and offline. Uh, and things become normal that actually wouldn't be acceptable or normal elsewhere. So that was, I think, one way that came immediately to mind is just that challenge of still being gracious online when it's not the culture of online communication to be gracious. Right. All right. What about with parents? I'm, I'm the parent of two young people, so I'm really interested in what you're going to say now. Yeah, I'm the parent of three young people too, and oh, I need grace. Uh, parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I so badly want to do it well and I fail so much. It weighs on my soul. And to this day, I still find it hard to believe it weighed on my parents' souls. Even though I'm a parent now and I'm like, well, yeah, this is what it's like to be a parent. I still think, no, it couldn't be true for them. It's still that hard to extend grace to your own parents. Mum, you're doing a great job. Uh, but uh, I, I say all this to you because you might think, oh, I don't know if my parents really care. That Maybe you've got a rough hand. Maybe it's not actually the case that you have had parents that really love you, but I think by and large, uh, our parents try really hard to love us and we don't always see it. And so I think for youth, for the youth out there, it's a really hard time for you because you're trying to work out who you are and your parents are restricting and restricting and holding you back. And so there's a lot of clashing and that's a normal part of growing up. But I want you to remember that they're still learning how to parent a teenager. And if you're like, well, I've got five older siblings. I think they've done it by now. They're still learning how to parent you as a teenager. And that's hard as well. So have grace for them. And for young adults, I think as a developmental thing, you're starting to realize that your parents are sinners. They are flawed human beings. That's a really hard thing to learn after having to accept so much of what they've said for so long. But I think usually, as a young adult, while you've been learning that they're sinners, you haven't yet learned to forgive them for that. And so I think that's a real challenge to have grace for your parents is to learn that they need your forgiveness whether or not they ask for it. Cool. Uh, now, young people are very social 
some social interactions are very easy. Some take a bit more work. What about the ones that take more work? Yeah, I, I think it might be true for all generations, but I think particularly for young people, not just like millennials or Gen Z, anyone who's young at a point, whatever generation they were, uh, can struggle socially putting in the work uh, with people that are a little bit harder or when you just don't feel like it's going to be as fun or uplifting for you. I think uh, the classic opt-out, like, oh, I'm just not feeling it tonight or I'm just I'm a bit tired. It's really easy to have other things to do instead of go to community group or something like that because it just could be a bit draining. There's a, a low tolerance for awkward when you're younger. I think young people feel the awkwardness more acutely and just would rather not put them in situations where they might even feel awkward. And so it's easy to avoid people that you might find a bit more, bit more difficult. Oh, I'll stop there. Yes. Great. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, what about when we get into situations where expectations aren't met? Did you see my notes on this one? Maybe I shouldn't say it. All right. Let's go anyway. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I can look at your notes now. Yeah, do you want me to edit them? I think I've started now, Ron. Uh, so you know what a Karen is? <laughs> I resent that term so much because I've met so many lovely Karens. Uh, but a Karen is, well, originally was, uh, as a stereotype, a middle-aged woman that's very entitled and is willing to voice her opinions and her needs uh, and clash with somebody else in a rude way. Uh, now, it doesn't just apply to middle-aged women. It applies to anyone you want to throw the term at. You're being such a Karen. And it's young people that love to throw that term around, that somebody's being a Karen, uh, sometimes with irony, sometimes just with nastiness. But here's my reality check for you. You know the saying, the customer is always right? Untrue. It's untrue. Good. Good energy here. All right. The customer is always right is the saying. <laughs> what happens if we raise an entire generation as consumers where they think that they should just be able to pick and choose what they want? They're taught to consume and consume. You're made into a customer which means you have been raised with the mindset that you're always right. Which means we have a generation of future Karens before us. Like that, That's where people are headed with this mindset that they think, no, my expectations should always be met. And so as much as it's fun to point out a middle-aged person that thinks they're entitled, I think there are actually more young people with this mentality. They just haven't got the confidence yet to say what they want. They just say it under their breath. So, I think that when your expectations aren't being met, it's really tempting for you to be ungracious. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Lastly, uh, and and I think this one applies for all of us particularly, when we're feeling insecure. Yeah, yeah, I think for all of us. Uh, This is my hobby horse. I just struggle with this one so much. I think insecurity is us putting the spotlight back on us and feeling worried about us and how am I coming across in this conversation and, and what did I just say that and it was dumb and oh, I don't think they would like me and, and because it's so us-focused, we're not thinking how are they feeling and it just becomes a block. It's not a, a block that's malicious. We don't want to do it to be mean to the other person but it's really hard to be other-focused when we're feeling so weighed down by our own insecurities. And so if that describes your experience and I think it describes the experience of all just people generally but young adults feel it acutely and youth feel it acutely, uh, I just want to encourage you that God has so much love and grace for you and if you are being filled with his grace, then in time your insecurity is going to diminish as well so that you can become more other-focused. Thanks very much, Chris. So for most of us, this idea of living in grace is not a new idea. 
being a place of grace, being a people of grace is not something brand new for those who have been following Jesus. But I think it might take us, as it's taken me, some reorientation. Like a Sydney cider trying to navigate Melbourne trams, we need to be patient and persevering and we need to practice, as Chris said. Knowing, though, that unlike on a Melbourne tram, even while we're trying to figure it all out, even while we're trying to reorientate ourselves, God is gracious to us. Sorry, that didn't mean God isn't gracious on Melbourne trams. God is gracious to us and he is enabling us by his Holy Spirit to do the things that we find hard to do, that we can't accomplish by ourselves. I'm so excited for the story of St. Matt's to continue to be and to become increasingly a grace story. And I'm excited to see what God will do with a community of people who lean more and more into being a place of grace and a people of grace. We will be a visible and felt presence of good news in the community around us. And it will help us, uh, move us to be more and more a community of lifelong disciples of Jesus, engaging our world with grace and truth. We've started by grace. Let's continue in grace. And let's finish in grace. Not in our strength, but in grace. And not for our praise, but for the glory of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your grace. Your grace and mercy to us, particularly in Jesus who died for us so that we could have life with you. We thank you for that grace. And we thank you for the grace that you lavish upon us day in, day out that the things that we want to do but can't, you are gracious with us and you walk with us and you strengthen us by your spirit. Enable us to lean more and more into that, that we might be a people of grace and a place of grace. For the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.